another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. So we are back for another episode this week, again highlighting our the BLM Black Lives Matter mini-series here on the podcast. So we have a, another wonderful burlesque dancer who was recommended to me by another guest of mine. Thanks, Pocket, for the recommendation. I have the lovely and wonderful Miss Monday Blues on the podcast today who is joining me on this hot summer's day. It's really warm in the apartment. (laughs) Um, It's so hot up there. It's super warm. And you're in your laundry room right now recording, which is like giving me life. (laughs) (laughs) Glamour. I love it. I love it. Work it. (laughs) But let's introduce you properly. So... I don't know much about you except that you were a fantastic human to interview and also a burlesque dancer, also a life coach, anti-racism coach, Afro-Indigenous, queer, femme, sex worker, uh, and showgirl, I think. that sure. <laughs> All of those things, uh, check all the boxes there, all of the above. Um, that's just kind of what I found uh, on my research on you. But if you would like to tell the audience in your own words, on your own terms, feel free to go ahead. Who are you? All right. <laughs> well, my name is Monday, and I am all of the above. And it's it's a lot to manage sometimes, so we can be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Um, my roots and like my entrepreneur skills came from sex work. I uh, have been a burlesque performer for the past nine years. A life coach as recently as 2000. 16. Oh, wow. And yeah, so yeah, it's an interesting, interesting life. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. And we're going to get into all of that today. We're going to dig a little deeper here. So let's start at your roots. Did you want to start with sex work? Did you want to start with burlesque? I'm going to let you choose your path here. (laughs) Let's start with burlesque. I think that one goes back the furthest. Let's do it. So what is your story with burlesque? Like, how did you get started? with the whole dance and movement of burlesque. It's so funny because every time I start telling these stories, I'm like, yep, that's my weird life there. (laughs) (laughs) I I started in burlesque because I actually went down to Burning Man one year. And I was, yeah. Very cool. (laughs) Really inspired by all the art that I saw and all the like contributions people brought um, to Burning Man out into the middle of the desert to share with other people. And that one year, I, I didn't have anything to share. I was I, I was there. I shared some smiles and helped people, but <laughs> I didn't have any art to share. So <laughs> I, went, I went home with the, the intention of finding my art so that when I went back the next year, I would have something to bring with me. Okay. And yeah, it was just like a weird, I, I kind of just like opened myself up. I'm like, okay, well, I'd don't know what it is yet but I'm open to receive whatever is coming to me and I just randomly fell into burlesque classes and that was it (laughs) I love it that's so cool because like Burning Man I mean I although I have not attended myself I've seen pictures I have many friends that have gone to Burning Man and again like like you said it's just like a feast for the senses there's so much there it's basically a city if you guys are not familiar with Burning Man it's like a city, a festival that's in the middle of the desert that takes place like, over like a week and there's, there's fire shows and like 
acrobatics and just like no currency there and it's just art and like really cool things I don't know if you have a better description of that but <laughs> that's pretty much it anything you can imagine is out there and it's kind of mind-blowing so that's so cool did you end up seeing a performance or something at Burning Man that was like your direct inspiration for you to join burlesque or is it something you were just kind of drawn to in terms of maybe something you saw or people that you know? I think probably a mix of both. I'm pretty sure I did see a performance when I was out there, but also in the festival scene here in BC, like I used to go to Chambois and just travel around the province and do these festivals here. And so I was really familiar with Sweet Soul Burlesque and like yes. watching them perform and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Wonderful. And we love a sweet soul burlesque. We had Lola Frost on the show earlier, who I'm also a very big fan of. <laughs> yes, there's like a huge, huge, huge community here in Vancouver. So much talent. How, what was your journey or say like your process in terms of, you know, getting and dipping your toes into the burlesque scene? It has been quite a journey because it directly like links into what we're seeing right now in terms of Black Lives Matter. And like my coming up in burlesque was like heavily, like it, it was a journey. I'll just <laughs> it that. I started in Calgary, Alberta, where I was the only Black burlesque performer for, oh my for gosh. quite a number of years. Right. Um, and... And even in Western Canada, it was one of very, very, very few. So it's, I had to kind of like create my own way. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Right. And that's, that's, I'm so glad you said that too. I really want to unpack that as well. And we'll get deeper into that too. But like, just how, how did that make you feel being the only person, obviously being Afro-Indigenous is a big part of your identity, and having no one to relate that to or even look up to, like how how was that? I guess in terms of like starting out. Um, it's I think at the time I wasn't fully aware of it. In hindsight now, I can see that it was like exhausting, like having to occupy spaces mm-hmm. that weren't necessarily built for me. Like that's tiring. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I can't imagine what that would feel like. But I mean, as an Asian, it is not the same experience, but again, that whole issue of like taking up space and I and feeling that I'm in a very like white, a white space, <laughs> I I feel like is for me maybe I was like intruding. Yeah. For some reason, yeah. I'm not sure if you felt the same way. It definitely, yeah. You get those vibes, and there are definitely like power plays happening around you too to like keep you in your space too which is yeah. something that I'm, I've been reflecting on more recently and you know just like working through a little bit of that anger oh for <laughs> sure yeah feelings around that lots of feelings there how do you go about dismantling that and and say like because you started um more than a few years ago obviously but how has that dismantling process how does that look and compare to what it is today? As, like in terms of when I first started versus today? Versus today, yeah, exactly. Yep. 
Um, I think when I first started, the the only thing that was running through my mind was rep- representation matters. So right. it was really important for me to take up space and to, to put myself out there so that other people could see me out there totally. in hopes that that it would draw more folks in who could relate to me. Totally, yeah. And, and, and in a way, you're kind of like paving the way for other dancers and other artists to kind of follow in your footsteps. Is that kind of correct? Kind of, yeah. yeah. That, I think that was my hope. Yeah. Have you seen that there are more Afro-Indigenous women joining and being a part of the burlesque movement, at least here in Western Canada, or is it still very slow, or at least more people of color, at least? Um, There are definitely more people of color now than there were when I first started. It's still a very slow growing process slower than I would like it to be but (laughs) but there has been a little bit of progress at least there's some change happening so it's better than nothing right so exactly (laughs) (laughs) so you've been doing this quite a long time what is your burlesque style what what kind of persona do you have on stage can you share more about that sure um I always gravitate to to very like slow like honey dripping I just kind of like to flow with it like I I admire folks who are like super into like awesome body moves and stuff like that but yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) just honoring my body as a plus size person and 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 just my vibe is just is chill Mm -hmm. so my performance generally play off that that's awesome how did you like where do you draw your inspirations from mainly um that's a good question mainly from the music I okay I one of those audio like I when I have time I like to just kind of nerd out on music yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) but also other artists too like I love art that that stretches my brain like beyond what I'm used to I like just seeing really I don't know, cool take. I like seeing people's heads explode on stage in terms of like (laughs) creativity. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And of course, like the art that's created on stage is so magical too. And there's so many different ways that artists can kind of unveil that. It's super cool. I remember, who was I interviewing? I was interviewing uh, another artist, Rada Soleil, who's also here in Vancouver. And she she uh, mentioned a burlesque artist, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but she was saying how her reveal at the end of, of her performance was her face, and I thought that was so powerful. I actually ended up seeing yeah. some YouTube clips, too, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's so different, because, you know, when you think of burlesque, stereotypically, it would be like, okay, the bra would come out, and there'd be, like, pasties underneath, or some kind of skin showing... So it's really cool and powerful to hear like a different side of that and for that to not, I guess, be as sexualized as what you would might assume in burlesque. Totally. Yeah. It's really, really interesting and artistic and also very, very diverse, which is so cool to see. But um, side <laughs> sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about like your process in becoming who you were on stage, obviously, because 
there weren't a lot of people for you to look up to. How, how did you get comfortable and also being plus size as well? How do you get comfortable in your own skin and in your own body? Oh, this was a process and it continues to be a process too. Cause now, even now, like this year, I just launched my only fan. So that's like a whole other Yay. next step of getting comfortable in my body. Totally. Congratulations, <laughs> by the way. Thank you. So much fun. Plug. <laughs> and we'll definitely plug all the links at the end of the episode for sure. Um, but yeah, the first time I performed, I literally just blacked out. <laughs> there was no process. I just fully disassociated and was not there. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I don't think you're alone in that. Like, I feel like there's a lot of performers that are like, I'm like, what? tell me about your first time performing. And they're just like, I honestly cannot recall a single memory <laughs> from that time. No. <laughs> it's true. You like come to when you're like, almost naked in front of a bunch of people you're like oh okay I'm out. <laughs> you're like and I'm done <laughs> yeah. I don't know but like for me personally I felt like I mean I, I kind of remember my first time stripping and me being super nervous but not actually remembering any of the moves but like myself just feeling so nervous in my clothes that like the minute I actually got naked on stage I felt like relieved <laughs> I'm not sure if you share the same experience, but <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I guess there's still a part of me that like kind of not checks out, but like maybe tunes into something that's a little bit bigger than me when I'm on stage too. I'm just, mm. yeah, I get that. I get that. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you have to put your focus on elsewhere, but I mean, how has that, how has how have you transformed over the years in terms of like really getting in tune with your body and understanding your your own identity how has that process been for you oh it's been a, it's been a pretty cool one especially most recently even though like there's been lots of trials and tribulations okay um I, yeah I've, i just got diagnosed with lupus like a month and a half ago oh my god so that's like oh yeah, that's like a whole other level of, of being in tune with your body totally. um, that I wasn't prepared for. No, and that's that's physical too. Can you explain again for the audience who, for people that are not familiar with lupus, like what that does to your body? Yeah, so lupus is an autoimmune disorder and basically, mm. yeah, my body goes after the important parts that it shouldn't be going after because right. it's, it's just dialed up too high. So I have to currently like take medication just to suppress my immune system, and but uh, it has affected my joints quite a bit. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, that's not fun. I at the time of recording right now, I am going through a knee injury right now myself, actually. Oh, no. So not so fun, and I've been icing it like crazy because it just started uh -huh. swelling, which is not so great. So. Not so fun, but uh, I uh, that's so that's so tough to go be going through that. I feel you. I have a couple autoimmune diseases as well myself, um, eczema yeah. and like alopecia, which is really hard because it's all very physical. As I mean, lupus that's that's also I would say that's, that's it's just very tough. You know, when the body is just not performing the way that it should be, and yeah, cooperating. <laughs> it's not cooperating at all. So. <laughs> How has that changed? Um, 
has it changed anything in your own body or how you present yourself? Um, because it's so new, I'm still onboarding it. So mm. I've noticed, like, I'm just trying to ride this wave of like emotions towards my body or like, right. like, yeah, just trying to reflect on things and not be too judgmental or too totally frustrated. Of course, of course. And you will definitely go through, through waves of, of emotion and anger and frustration, of course, but Thank you so much for sharing that that bit of yourself with the audience. Like, I'm sure there's lots of people listening to that are struggling. So, but sharing that bit about like, oh yes, it's you're going through the motions right now. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. would be comforting for some listening out there. So, um, but along with that, uh, with burlesque and not related to lupus, but. Uh, in relation to COVID, because <laughs> mm-hmm. COVID's still happening, how have you adapted as a burlesque dancer? Have your shows been moved online? I mean, you saw, you started OnlyFans recently as well. How have those measures, in terms of adapting to the pandemic, how has that been for you? Because that, that itself is a journey. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Everything came out once. Oh, yes. Yes, they did. (laughs) Of course. um, Yeah, when the pandemic started, I started my OnlyFans, so just to take my sex work online, Mm -hmm. uh, which I I think and continue to think is still a great move. Um, Burlesque, I had been kind of on hiatus just because I was observing a year away from burlesque because my my mom passed away this fall. Oh, And that's just part of our customs. Okay. And yeah, so I've been away for a while. Burlesque has moved quite a bit online, mm-hmm. like if not completely online. And uh, as things were opening up, like I've been seeing shows here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can find a lot of great art online, which I'm really excited for like 20 or 30 years from now, because there's going to be this big cash (laughs) like retro videos totally (laughs) that's such a great way of looking at it too (laughs) I like that well it's really cool because like as you mentioned the accessibility is now there especially with a lot of international stars and dancers and like entertainers that you know Mm -hmm. maybe wasn't there before maybe wasn't accessible before but I, f- I find like a lot of people are, are moving their shows online via Zoom or anything like that. Like I feel the whole online movement is actually taking off and it's being quite successful. So how is... Yeah, I... Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was just agreeing. That's oh, really cool. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> how has the OnlyFans uh, switch been for you? You know what? I was doing great. Until I went into a lupus flare. Oh, no. <laughs> and, oh, gosh. and then I couldn't do anything. <laughs> oh, my, I'm sorry to hear that. Gosh, it's such a tough time, too. I, but you know what? I, I mean, I, at least with OnlyFans platform, you could do things at your own pace, at your own time, make whatever content that you feel you're comfortable with. So I think that's so true. Yeah, like I feel like there's there's some good in that because I don't know. Sometimes when I go on stage at the club, I'm just like, just like the physical 
the physicality of being there <laughs> sometimes <Yes>. can be exhausting. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to go into that maybe elaborate a little bit too in terms of the burlesque side of things? Oh, this like like even uh, for online performance, I have mm-hmm. taken I've taken one gig, mm. um, basically because because it was worth it to me to do this gig, like in terms of how much I was being paid and whatnot. Um, but I'm finding that I flare before gigs, and so like I have to be really conscious of what I'm choosing to do and and the way things are looking, I don't actually think that I'm going to be doing any on, or any more performing oh, okay. in burlesque. How does that make you feel? I guess, are you still processing that too emotionally or is it yeah, like yeah. bittersweet? It's like, it's going to be a loss. There's going to be grief around it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, oh, darn. <laughs> I want to see your performance. <laughs> I've seen some of your, your videos so online. It's amazing. so fast, but there is a video. <laughs> yes, so. at least you have that, right? <laughs> yeah. Lasting memories. <laughs> um, I want to kind of like unpack more in terms of like digging deeper into burlesque, something that you mentioned earlier to how burlesque in Western Canada, and I'm not sure about other parts of the world, but is is very white and the racism that exists in the burlesque community. I'd, I'd love to hear more information about that if you feel like sharing. Yeah, so it, going into burlesque, it was very white-dominated. It still continues to be very white-dominated, but we're, we're actively working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to navigate. <laughs> I bet that it's just such a, a heavy topic, too, but it's also for me at least, from an outsider looking in, also blatantly obvious that it's predominantly white. I wonder, like, why that is. Is that just because how it's been rooted in history or is that just, like, a trend that you're witnessing? Do you have any thoughts on that? I probably have too many there, but I'm going to try and narrow it down. Oh, yeah. Please elaborate. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely just think that it's totally tied into the way that our culture has been built Mm -hmm. in terms of white supremacy and what people think people find attractive. Okay. Or what people think sells or what people think is art, et cetera, et cetera. So... Um, those ideas that we've been kind of sold were based on like this thin white bodies Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and if you see any, like anything that's being heavily portrayed about burlesque in the media, it's exactly that image too. Right. Right. And where do you think those ideas come from? Is that mainly due to the media? Is that, mainly due to people that are marketing this or what are your thoughts or opinions on that matter? I definitely think media plays a big part in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I also like we as a community have to take responsibility for how we, we just, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Also play a part in that. Yeah. Continuing that message. Of course, because like, 
we're also consuming that media too. So you'd have to kind of mm-hmm. be responsible and maybe question what kind of narratives are being like spewed out, right? Totally. You did, um, you said, um, you didn't say, I was just stalking you online, but <laughs> <laughs> you were part of um, a panel during the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival, which apparently well, was physically was canceled this year. But the panel being on Centering Black Voices, can you tell us um, a little bit about your involvement with that? Yeah, um, Centering Black Voices was an awesome, awesome idea brought forth by the Vancouver International Burlesque Festival, which I was a part of until this year. Awesome. Um, So, yeah, uh, basically, I shot up from my bed from one of my lupus stupors (laughs) (laughs) you know when you get really inspired and you're in a lot of pain yes (laughs) I just like I'm I'm, I was taught to observe Mm. uh just what's going on and trends and like just what people are saying at different times and so I've I've always been very observant (laughs) (laughs) of what's been going on and um as soon as uh, our Black Lives Matter movement started. I was watching to see what people's reactions were and where things were going and where the energy was going. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that immediately here within Vancouver, folks were focusing on Minneapolis. Right. Which is great. Like, we, we need to show our solidarity and support for Minneapolis, but... Beyond that, like, we also need to take care of our Black community here in our own communities. And that's something that I wasn't seeing. Right. And in everybody's community, no matter where, if it's burlesque or if it's stripping or if it's, like, Vancouver as a whole or, you know, like, start there first. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So I ended up writing a post just as kind of, like, a a loving call-in to our local community just to say, hey, like, that's great, but we need to look at our own actions and how they're affecting um, Black people within our community because that right. is directly linked in yes. one way or another to what's going on in Minneapolis. And so we need to address that first. Right. Can you share more about your observations, though, here in Vancouver and what you had noticed during the movement, if you noticed anything? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Vancouver, uh, so I moved to Vancouver from Calgary. Right. And there were, I was expecting, like, a stark difference in terms of, you know, Calgary's very conservative, and yes. Vancouver's, like, the more liberal, socialist yes. vibes. Yeah. Or that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, cool. Like, when I get there, it'll just be, like, chill, and, like, people will get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then when I got here... I realized that it was the exact same kind of like it was racism, but just like a different, mm-hmm. a different kind of racism, which which I described as like being so progressive that they can't believe that they're racist, so that they yeah. don't do anything in the first place. It's so true. Um, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this like weird constant okay. denial. Mm-hmm. or something like it's really weird but I also noticed that too but no please continue please continue didn't mean to interrupt you <laughs> <laughs> I just had no, to chime in so that was just like 
after, you know, my little fall from grace of being like, yay, this is, you know, free, the motherland. And being like, oh, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <Things are> different. <laughs> um, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to call to attention is the fact that like, yeah, you can be nice. You can be progressive but you can still have implicit bias and you can still cause harm Mm -hmm. to marginalized communities. If you're not, you know, actively looking at yourself to dismantle these things. Right. And there is a lot of that in Vancouver and there has been Mm -hmm. a lot of that for decades now too. So yeah. Yeah. And that's really interesting too, from, I guess you maybe probably consider yourself as a transplant then if you were coming in from Calgary because I feel like sometimes people here are just not educated or just are unaware because it wasn't taught in schools in terms of the black community that's here in Vancouver. Although I'll be, it's small. It's smaller than say Toronto where you'd find <laughs> like, you know, more of a, a, like a larger community there too. But I guess were you, I guess then disappointed when you moved from Calgary over to Van just to kind of see that it's pretty much the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was. There was a moment that I was like visibly shaken by it. (laughs) Oh no. Oh gosh. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) But also and then and then the reality hits and you're just like, oh like okay, like I just this is gonna be everywhere I go and I'm just gonna have to deal with it. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. And you mentioned earlier, too, when you moved, you said the same type of racism exists, but it was, it's a bit different here. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that, too? Like, you mentioned more, it's because we, if I'm getting this correctly, we're kind of throwing on a look or some kind of facade in terms of like, we're liberal, we're great, we do all these things. And then, but underneath there's that as you said, implicit bias. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Can you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Feel free to go uh, go more into it if you'd like. I mean, in terms of uh, the comparison between Alberta and Vancouver. Yeah. Al- Alberta doesn't try and hide that if you're different, <laughs> they, <laughs> they're staring at you. You just, you come to kind of expect it. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. That in itself is just like, you know, okay, I can deal with this. At least I know what I'm dealing with. <laughs> totally. And that's huh. that. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of different here where you'll get the smile to your face, mm-hmm. but then the actions that uphold white supremacy, like, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's a mind F word. <laughs> yes. And you could totally swear in here. It's a mind fuck. Okay. <laughs> Are the kids watching our sex podcast? I mean, if they are, sorry. I've been swearing since day one. We're 48 episodes in, so. But it's, you know, it's really interesting that you bring up that observation because that's just racism. That's plain racism out in the blue, not just with, and we're not even just talking here in the burlesque community at all. We're talking about open air (laughs) racism right so which kind of brings me into the next segment here of the episode I really wanted to talk to you about your anti-racism coaching and advocacy 
So yeah, yeah. Feel feel free to go into it. <laughs> this just kind of it kind of popped up um, again as the movement started. I was looking at my coaching business and just what kind of skills uh, I've been equipped with mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like you know just lived experience too. Right. And yeah, um, the cool thing about coaching is that you can pivot at any time. Right. Um, it's definitely one of the best investments I've ever, or somebody has made on my behalf. <laughs> 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 yeah. And so I, I just kind of looked into the anti-oppressive knowledge I have, anti-racism knowledge that I have and equity and apply it in terms of coaching theory and structure. Okay. And yeah, it's been pretty cool. I've just been working one-on-one with folks right now. Okay. Um, but I have some organizations on the line who are interested, so I'm hoping in the fall just to expand and be able to offer it kind of like as larger, larger sessions. That's awesome, and that's so important to have, and it's like very, very current as well, too. I mean, coaching in, in general is useful pre this BLM movement but also now it's like even more important to to kind of press the significance on that how did you get started with coaching how does one start to be a coach <laughs> how do you do that my stories <laughs> my secrets are coming up um, so I initially went to school for social work uh back in Alberta oh okay and yeah I I really uh, you know my mom was a social worker. Like I really kind of navigate towards the helping, helping fields. But mm-hmm. when I got into school and just like regular academia, mm-hmm. there was something that just doesn't didn't quite fit for me. So okay. I ended up leaving school mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of sitting on it and waiting for the answer. So then I I needed a coach at one point. And so I found oh. a, a really cool coach in Alberta. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All the stories. And basically, <laughs> the difference between um, what I found, like, in terms of counseling and social work versus coaching was that coaching or um, my social work education kind of focused on, like, your story of origin, how you got here, how you came to be, and, like, all of those things, whereas coaching was kind of, like, the what now. Like, what do you want to do now? Okay, going forward, how do we oh. – how do we – help you get to where you want to be right okay so yeah I was gonna ask you that question too because I'm like well what's the difference between <laughs> social work and and consulting and and coaching too that's so interesting I just this week's episode we're recording this yeah just a few days before it's about to be released but this week I released a bonus episode um because I was guest lecturing at Florida State University in their human sexuality <laughs> class for um, social work, future social workers, future sex educators, and therapists. So it's really interesting to see um, the angles that they play and also how they're instructed and how they're taught to deal with clients and stuff. So I think that's super, that's, super fascinating. Yeah, that is so cool. I would love to talk to you more about that aspect. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, we need to chat more about this. <laughs> But I think that's really, really important, too, um, in terms of of the coaching, of the consulting, also of your background, too, just makes 
you uh, more, I guess, an individual that can kind of better understand people and, and have that ability to empathize. So it's, it's really interesting that you do that. I think it's awesome, especially in terms of like the anti-racism uh, coaching that you're doing now. Can you tell us a bit, a, bit, a bit more about that as well and what kind of clients you're kind of dealing with in terms of who would need this type of coaching? And I would say that everyone needs this kind of coaching, even me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kind of answered it. Everybody needs this kind of coaching. Even I need this kind of coaching just to kind of like, uh, we're, I feel like we're in a stage right now where we're kind of shining a light mm-hmm. on all the things that have been kind of swept under the rug for a while, which can be a lot to process. Yes. It just going to like <laughs> validate that. There is a lot going on right now. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there's a lot to uncover too, because honestly, when everything started going down in Minneapolis, I was completely overwhelmed and I didn't know there's just so much coming at me and I didn't know mm-hmm. how to process it. Like what what is your advice for clients that, you know, don't know how to process it and are afraid to speak up? And, you know, would rather be complacent and silent rather than saying something. Because I felt like I was truly in that position. I was just, there's so many things in the media happening. There's so many of my friends telling me this. And I don't know what to believe. I just felt like, how can people be be so cruel, you know? Yeah. What's some of your advice in terms of, like, what would you kind of tell your clients in terms of, like, dealing with this very, very overwhelming amount of, I don't know. I don't know if it's guilt. I don't know if it's frustration. It's there's so many emotions there. It's probably a bit of a bit of everything. And yeah. um yeah, definitely like grounding yourself, like honoring those feelings. When I say grounding, it could be with community, it could be with culture, it could be like taking care of your body. Mm-hmm. All of those things are super important right now and they're going to continue to be important until we like, you know, we still have to get through the pandemic too and like Black Lives <laughs> Matter movement. Yes. <laughs> like, so there's so much going on right now. Um, and then secondly, just focus on what role you want to play either during or like your future self. Mm-hmm you know, what role did they play um, during this moment in time? And then just kind of focus on that. So, like, I am a coach. I'm going to be really good at coaching right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's what grounds me. I'm not going to try and be Monday the burlesque or I'm not going to try and be Monday the sex worker. Like, right now, my energy is focused on coaching. On coaching. That's amazing. So, so, so cool. Um do you also want to share with the audience as well your program? Um, I just read briefly about it, Dreaming Beyond White Supremacy. I guess that kind of goes more into detail with the coaching. Yeah. So I offer two, uh, there are two sides to my coaching. One is primarily focused on white folks in terms of like, how do I, I be anti-racist and how can I be a better ally? Mm-hmm. And then my other program, which is in development, and I cannot wait to get started on it, is Dreaming Beyond White Supremacy, and this is for BIPOC mm-hmm. coaching clients. So, awesome. like Indigenous people of color. Yeah. That's super cool. That's another question uh, I had for you, too. But sorry, keep going. I'll ask you after. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, so that coaching program is basically I was I was working through some stuff and I realized how much I had kind of what's the word? <laughs> I built my dreams to fit in a box that was made by white supremacy. Mm, okay. Because as a black woman, as an indigenous woman, I recognize that a lot of the time, like even if I'm giving my all, no matter how hard I work, I still have to work three times harder yes. for like half half the reward some of the time, which is super shitty. But, yeah, super but in reality. Shitty. <laughs> um, so when I was young, I just kind of learned to expect that right. and not to dream not to dream beyond that. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, so this program, as I was working through that, I was like, oh, like, I'm not the only one who's done this. <laughs> like, what do our dreams actually look like without the influence of white supremacy? Mm-hmm. What do dreams look like for you <laughs> without white supremacy? <laughs> throwing that question you know back what? to you. <laughs> They're significantly bigger and and broader and I'm allowed to be in more spaces and not being held back so I still I still have a lot of work to do to like to let that go and actually let myself be big and bold take up space absolutely Um, but it's a process I'm working on it it's a process indeed (laughs) (laughs) now the question I wanted to ask you earlier um how can BIPOC or yeah, Black, Indigenous, people of color, how can we be an ally? What are some ways that you can kind of think at the top of your head, ways or resources where we can help? That's a good question. That's a, it's a big question. I was going to say it's a big question. Like, feel free to talk for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I guess if I were to step back into like my, my role in my coaching space, I would just say like, figure out your role or what you're really good at and what you can contribute in terms of like, maybe you have a skill, like you have an amazing podcast, which you're, you're uplifting voices on. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the contribution of an ally right there. Um, Yeah. Just like the little thing, if you knit things and you can find a place (laughs) where you can like use that skill to help with the movement, like go for it. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. And I love how you just brought these examples too, because they're so relevant as well. And you kind of like nailed it right on the head too, um, in terms of like using the example with me in the podcast. I am not nowhere near as knowledgeable as so many other of my peers out there. And I'm just trying my best to try and learn as much as I can. But then it's hard for me to kind of present because I don't feel like an, I'm an expert on this, which is why you're on the show today. So <laughs> it seems fitting. So, <laughs> and that's really cool. So going on that same vein too. So you're working on the second program um, that's coming out. You said the dream beyond white supremacy. You, okay. So the first program that you had was centered and focused on white folks. And then with the other one, the other program, The Dreaming Beyond White Supremacy, that being aimed and centered around BIPOC. Why? Right. Yes. And <laughs> I wanted to ask, and this, this question might be, sound very juvenile, but for those who are still 
like kind of struggling with learning about this too. Why mm-hmm. is it important to separate those groups and why is it important to cater this type of coaching, one towards white people and one towards BIPOC? That this is something that this week I've been just, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. I, there are moments that I'm frustrated that I have to put so much energy into coaching allies mm-hmm. because awesome. I would much rather be helping folks who, you know, dream beyond white supremacy. Totally. Um, yeah. But I guess that being said, um, I'm feeling like, uh, my communication is is one of my skills that I have to offer. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and and that dismantling white supremacy, um, like I have to work with the allies to to help guide or coach. Maybe not guide, help coach. <laughs> <laughs> um, just so that. You know, the movement is led by BIPOC individuals because mm-hmm. um, I think that's really, really important when it starts to get away from us and people are, are acting on their own accord and doing what they think we need. Like mm-hmm. that it often does more harm than good. Right. And it's interesting how you say that what, to quote you, what they think that you guys need. It's always like that weird kind of, savory complex like you don't know what we need how can you possibly relate to us you know in terms of white folks (laughs) yeah and uh it it is a frustrating thing to come up against because it's almost daily and Mm -hmm. I think that it's been so ingrained in the society to think um you know white is right which is (laughs) (laughs) Awkward and like, (laughs) (laughs) there's almost like there's this parent-child dynamic that Mm. that I've come up against quite a bit, and it's just like, no, actually, we (laughs) we got all the answers right here. We've done all the work, (laughs) (laughs) and it just sounds so silly too. The whole white is right uh, sentiment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I actually said that. Well, it just sounds outrageous for one thing, and then and two, more even more outrageous that we've never questioned it in the past, or maybe not as vocally before. Mm-hmm. So, like that to me is even crazier. <laughs> you just think that this yeah. is the right way, this is the only way, this is how things have been done forever. So, if it's not broken, why fix it? Kind of thing, right? Yeah, that's super weird. <laughs> I I don't want to miss anything here. I also had a note here about sponsored coaching. Would that be along the same veins as what we already previously discussed with the program? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that one uh, belongs to the Coaching Beyond White Supremacy. And if you were to head over to my Instagram, there's a little link there where I am hoping to get more sponsorship for BIPOC individuals who want to take my one-on-one coaching with me or if you're a larger organization then I'm also looking for backers for the for the bigger program workshop 
Very cool. And don't worry, we're going to be plugging those links, all the links at the end. Of, uh, they're going to be in the show notes, basically. So, yeah, you guys can definitely access it there. <laughs> but on that note, we're going to pivot and switch over to some Q&A. So a few questions have come in here as well for you, Miss Monday Blues. So if awesome. you're ready, we can go into it. <laughs> Just a couple here. I'm ready. All right. Do you have any advice for those wanting to go into burlesque? And it just seems like a general question, so. Yeah, if you want to go into burlesque, I would definitely, right now, um, because there are so many shows online, everything's super accessible, make sure just, like, overload your senses with any and all burlesque so that you can get an idea of who you might want to be in the burlesque industry. Mm-hmm. Um, when things open up again, I guess it's going to be like during COVID and then post COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, depending where you are, there are usually burlesque schools within mm-hmm. your city. Um, if you are a BIPOC individual, make sure you seek out BIPOC coaches and teachers as well. Mm-hmm. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, this question is... Do you have any recommendations or resources for BIPOC in terms of allyship? I guess we kind of briefly went over that, but if you want to go over it in more detail, you're more than welcome to. In terms of allyship, um, you know, I, I honestly have just been tuning in to any and every resource that A, I have the energy for mm-hmm. and B, I have the time for. Totally. Um, <laughs> just because... The, the more we know, like the more words we have to communicate what we're trying to get across, the better. And so right now it's like allies are learning to be allies, but we're also learning. We're also learning. So just like just stay educated totally. and use your use your skill. Mitt something again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, it's, it's great that you mentioned like we're constantly learning. There's just so much coming out every single day that we can unpack. So, yes, don't don't turn this off. This is not a trendy movement or anything like that. So yeah. <laughs> stay with us. <laughs> totally. And just because, like, if, if you identify as a person of color, like, that doesn't give you a free pass just to be like, okay, well, I don't need to do anything. Like, we all need to to stay up to date and keep working on it yes thank you for that statement (laughs) and we just have one more uh, little question here so how does one get involved with coaching um coaching is an interesting uh it's an interesting thing to get involved into because it's not regulated so we're not Mm. like you know license like a, a counselor or whatnot so you could literally just like order a book off of amazon and call yourself a coach if you wanted to do that i'm not gonna be for or against that but <laughs> i did go to um a coaching college here in vancouver called erickson international okay um but there are a lot of programs out there and like my hope eventually is to get to a point where I'll, i will be able to teach other coaches as well because i think decolonized coaching um, it's going to be important down the road. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. And I love how you're so forward thinking in that too, because I absolutely agree with you. Like, I think that's, it is a big thing now and it's going to be an even bigger topic of conversation. 
um, moving on and going into the future. So, yay, mm-hmm. fingers crossed for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. You're not to keep us posted. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess with that, and before I let you go, where can we find you? So now give us all the links. <laughs> all the links. Okay, um, you can find me. Well, the easiest place would probably just to head to my website, which is still being built, but you can find links everywhere else, which is mycoachmonday.ca. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then if you want to hit me up on Instagram, it's at Miss Monday Blues. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter for my, you can't see it because we're <laughs> on the air, but I'm like covering <laughs> my mouth, pretending to whisper to you. My <laughs> sex work Twitter is at fall for Michaela. Okay, cool. I'm going to add these all in there. And did you want to throw in your OnlyFans there too, or should we, or should we cut oh. it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can do OnlyFans too, which you'll find like in all of my, my link trees, oh, but okay, my OnlyFans is at Mickey Monday. Awesome. I will add that in the show notes. It is in the, it's in the show notes. If you guys are listening this far, just click on it, look down. <laughs> <laughs> But that's pretty much it for today. Thank you so much, Monday, for joining me today in this really insightful conversation. I certainly learned a lot myself. Awesome. So. Thank, thank you for having me. This was such a pleasure. You are so welcome, and I'm hoping to catch up with you soon. But, guys, don't forget to like, rate, follow, subscribe, share, review, all of the things. <laughs> it's Strip by Sia and also my personal, Sia Steff. And, oh, yeah, I forgot announcement. Oh, my God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> shoot, I forgot to do this in the beginning. Oh, well. Uh, season two starts next week. Yeah, season two. <laughs> yes, so be sure to tune in. It's going to be cool. i got some rad guests coming on for season two. So be sure to tune in. If you have any, new, if you guys have any cool recommendations for Flesh and Interview, send them my way. So since I won't be doing any in-person interviews for a long time <laughs> until this is over, send them my way. So but anyways, thanks again, Monday, for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Music by Ted D. Photography by Ian.